Hello everybody and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 277. Today's big Bible question, can trying hard to be good separate us from God? Well, a happy and blessed Tuesday to you, dear friends. As always, we have some fascinating Bible passages to read and discuss today, including 1 Kings chapter 1. Will it be less violent than 1 and 2 Samuel and Judges? Well, I guess we'll find out. As well as Psalms 80, Ezekiel 32, and Galatians chapter 5. Oddly enough, our Galatians 5 passage might be the most violent passage we read today for reasons we will see shortly. One note. I want to direct your attention to Psalms 80 today. We aren't using it as our main focus passage, but I do believe the Psalms serve a wonderful purpose of training us how to pray to God and how to worship God. As we've mentioned several times before, the Psalms are very authentic, sometimes just plain raw, and the prayers of the psalmist very often don't pull any punches at all. For instance, today's Psalm, uh, verses uh, 4 through 7 says, Lord God of armies, How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You fed them the bread of tears and gave them a full measure of tears to drink. You put us at odds with our neighbors. Our enemies mock us. Restore us, God of armies. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. So pray with humility. Sure. Pray with respect. Absolutely. Pray with reverence and awe because God is a consuming fire. You better. But also pray with raw emotions and the deepest of questions. It is a most biblical thing to do. Now, as I've mentioned before, at least once, uh, back in 2005, the church I was on staff with opened a coffee house slash ministry center slash computer repair shop called Elevation on the south side of Birmingham in one of the busiest and most hopping places in the downtown area. Very very often, we would go out and engage people in spiritual conversations, asking them if we could pray for them, asking them about their own religious beliefs, and seeking ultimately to share Jesus with them. Because this was right in the middle of the Bible Belt, most of the people, even those who were at the moment drunk and or high, would profess to be believers in God and probably viewed themselves as Christians. One line I heard more often than any other during those times and in the subsequent days when I've witnessed to people was some variant of, I am trying to be a good person. Now, I'm sure that many of the people who said that were being sincere. I imagine some of them were not, but I have heard that particularly line so many times from people. And Galatians 5 is a perfect passage to share with people who are somewhat religious. In other words, they believe in God, uh, more or less, but they're not at all followers of Jesus, not saved by him, not washed in his blood, not believers in the gospel. So let's read Galatians 5 and then discuss how it applies to our situation today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. 
you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul doesn't pull any punches to all who would seek to gain entry into heaven by believing in God and trying to be good. In other words, those who try to justify themselves and try to be saved by following the commands of God. He says in verse 4, You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So specifically there, Paul is speaking of the Galatians' attempt to please God by having faith in Christ and trusting and following the Jewish Old Testament, particularly circumcision, to receive salvation. This is not the way. But so many people, especially people in more religious parts of the country, try to follow this way to be saved. Now, most of them, almost none of them really, are trying to be saved by following the command of the Old Testament to be circumcised, but they are trying to be saved by doing good and by following the commands of God, at least to a degree. Now, I honestly believe that the broad way that Jesus warns us against is some form of earning God's approval by works plus being a decent person, plus believing in God. For When Jesus says in Matthew seven thirteen, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Most people, especially people that grew up in a fairly churched area, know that they aren't quite good enough to please God, but they also believe that they are better than a few dozen other people that they know, who in their mind are the real scum of the earth. And they imagine that God will allow them in because there are just so many other people out there who are so much worse than them. It's almost like a version of the old bear joke. Two friends encounter an angry bear in the woods, and one says, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. Now, that's a very rude joke, but many people know they aren't saints, 
but they do believe they are good enough to outrun others in terms of their good works, so they think they will be good enough for God. The problem is, of course, that entrance into heaven doesn't work that way. God doesn't take, for instance, the top, I don't know, 35% of people and leave the other 65% for hell. If you are a listener to this podcast, I know that you are aware of that. But please understand that so many of your friends and family that are at least a little religious on the surface, they have an attitude about heaven and eternity that is much like that. They might think, I believe in God, I pray sometimes, I'm probably good enough to make it into heaven. These people are on the broad road that Jesus speaks about, and that road leads not to life, but to destruction. Unfortunately, very often when people are confronted with being on the wrong road, they are confronted by Christians that aren't sharing the good news. They aren't pointing to the right road, which is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. Instead, they are often confronted by Christians sharing a moralistic gospel. A drunkard is told he must stop drinking to get to heaven. A sexual sinner is told she must repent in order to go to heaven. That sort of thing, of course, is true. Drunkards won't make it into heaven, neither will sexual sinners or, as it were, the angry idolaters, sorcerers, the promiscuous, those who hate, and those who cause dissensions. All of those are the works of the flesh, says Paul in Galatians 5. The gospel is that Jesus died for you, so turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and he will save you. Apart from the new heart that is transformed and washed by the spirit of Jesus, then nobody can permanently change their behavior. So let's close by hearing how Pastor John Piper expresses this truth. And he quotes Paul saying, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Three observations, says Pastor Piper. Number one, if you want to claim that your partial law-keeping in, say, the act of circumcision or any other partial law-keeping keep, is part of your justifying righteousness, in other words, it fits you for heaven, then you have to realize that you are indebted to keep all of the commands of the law, says Paul in verse 3. If you want to provide any of your righteousness as the basis of your right standing with God, you must provide all of it. That is what it means to be under the law. Christ did it that way. He was perfect under the law. We can't. We need his righteousness, not ours. Number two, says Piper, in verse four, seeking to be justified by the law and is the same as wanting to be under the law in Galatians 4.21. That is, wanting to be under the law is the same as wanting law-keeping to be part of our righteousness before God. This is what justified by the law means. Number three, if you try to provide any or all of your own righteousness before God, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, Christ will be all of your righteousness or none of it. If you try to provide some of your righteousness alongside Christ's righteousness as the ground of your justification, you nullify grace, says Paul in Galatians 2.21. Or we could say you are not under grace. What it means to be under grace is that Christ is all of our righteousness for justification. We receive it in him as a gift by grace, that means we haven't earned it, through faith alone. And the opposite of being under grace is being under the law, which means that Christ is not our righteousness for justification, but law-keeping is. In other words, keeping all of the commandments of God. 
You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. If you and I take upon ourselves the yoke of the law and aim to use it to achieve our own righteousness before God, we have submitted to a yoke of slavery and are not standing in the freedom for which Christ freed us. Or to use the words of this verse, your relation to Christ is nullified and you no longer benefit from grace. What this verse teaches then is that the experience of freedom, including the freedom of eternal life, can only be enjoyed as we depend on the grace of Christ. Slavery is what happens when you fall away from the power of grace. The key to freedom is to keep depending on grace. But what is grace? Grace is the powerful work of God which he exerts freely for you in your present life. You've probably heard the acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. That's excellent. But to remind us that grace is also God's action for now in the ongoing present, there's another acronym. Grace, God's Rescuing and Caring Exertion. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Grace is God's exertion or effort in our lives to help us. Another example, Romans 5.21, As sin reigned in death, death, grace also will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is like a powerful king who exerts his reign in the lives of Christians. So, can trying hard to be good separate us from God? It absolutely can when we trust in our goodness and our trying hard and our good works to save us rather than the fully completed work and righteousness of Jesus. Something to ponder and consider as we read through Galatians. Let's continue with 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 1. Now King David was old and advanced in age. Although they covered him with bedclothes, he could not get warm. So his servant said to him, Let us search for a young virgin for my lord the king. She is to attend the king and be his caregiver. She is to lie by your side so that my lord will, the king will get warm. They searched for a beautiful girl throughout the territory of Israel. They found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The girl was of unsurpassed beauty and she became the king's caregiver. She attended to him, but he was not intimate with her. Adonijah, son of Haggith, kept exalting himself, saying, I will be king. He prepared chariots, cavalry, and fifty men to run ahead of him, but his father had never once infuriated him by asking, Why did you do that? In addition, he was quite handsome and was born after Absalom. He conspired with Joab, son of Zariah, and with the priest Abiathar. They supported Adonijah, but the priest Zadok, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the prophet Nathan, Shammai, Ray, and David's royal guard did not side with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, goats, cattle, and fattened cattle near the stone of Zoheleth, which is next to En-Rogel. He invited all his royal brothers and all the men of Judah, the servants of the king, but he did not invite the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, the royal guard, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king, and our lord David does not know it? Now please come and let me advise you. Save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go, approach King David, and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to your servant your son Solomon is to become king after me, and he is the one who is to sit on my throne? So why has Adonijah become king? At that moment, while you are still speaking with the king, I'll come in after you and confirm your words. 
So Bathsheba went to the king in his bedroom. Since the king was very old, Abishag the Shunammite was attending to him. Bathsheba knelt low and paid homage to the king, and he asked, What do you want? She replied, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, your son Solomon is to become king after me, and he is the one who is to sit on my throne. Now look, Adonijah has become king, and my lord the king, you didn't know it. He has lavishly sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep. He invited all the king's sons, the priest Abiathar, and Joab, the commander of the army, but he did not invite your servant Solomon. Now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, when my lord the king rests with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be regarded as criminals. At that moment, while she was still speaking with the king, the prophet Nathan arrived, and it was announced to the king, the prophet Nathan is here. He came into the king's presence and paid homage to him with his face to the ground. My lord the king, Nathan said, did you say Adonijah is to become king after me, and he is the one who is to sit on my throne? For today he went down and lavishly sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep. He invited all the sons of the king, the commanders of the army, and the priest of Biathar, and look, They're eating and drinking in his presence, and they're saying, Long live King Adonijah! But he did not invite me, me, your servant, or the priest Zadok, or Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, or your servant Solomon. I'm certain my lord the king would not have let this happen without letting your servant know who will sit on my lord the king's throne after him. King David responded by saying, Call Bathsheba for me. So she came into the king's presence and stood beside him. The king swore an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every difficulty, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, your son Solomon is to become king after me, and he is the one who is to sit on my throne in my place. That is exactly what I will do this very day. Bathsheba knelt very low with her face to the ground, paying homage to the king, and said, May my Lord King David live forever. King David then said, Call in the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, for me. So they came into the king's presence. The Lord king, the king said to them, Take my servants with you, have my son Solomon ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There the priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan are to anoint him as king over Israel. You are to blow the ram's horn and say, Long live King Solomon. You are to come up after him, and he is to come in and sit on my throne. He is the one who is to become king in my place. He is the one I have commanded be ruler over Israel and Judah. Amen, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, replied to the king. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, so affirm it. Just as the Lord was with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord King David. Then the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, and the Pelethites went down, had Solomon ride on King David's mule, and took him to Gihon. The priest Zadok took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the ram's horn, and all the people proclaimed, Long live King Solomon! All the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing with such a great joy that the earth split open from the sound. Adonijah and all the invited guests who were with him heard the noise. As they finished eating, Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn and said, Why is this town in such an uproar? He was still speaking when Jonathan, son of Abiathar the priest, suddenly arrived. Adonijah said, Come in, for you are an important man, and you must be bringing good news. Unfortunately not, Jonathan answered him. Our lord King David has made Solomon king, and with Solomon the king has sent the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, and they have had him ride on the king's mule. 
The priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan have anointed him king in Gihon. They have gone up there rejoicing. The town has been in an uproar. That's the noise you heard. Solomon has even taken his seat on the royal throne. The king's servants have gone to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more well known than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed in worship on his bed, and the king went on to say this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, today he has provided one to sit on my throne, and I am a witness. Then all of Adonijah's guests got up trembling and went their separate ways. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he got up and went to take hold of the horns of the altar. It was reported to Solomon, Look, Adonijah fears King Solomon, and he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon first swear to me that he will not kill his servant with the sword. Then Solomon said, If he is a man of character, not a single hair of his will fall to the ground, but if evil is found in him, he dies. So King Solomon sent for him, and they took him down from the altar. He came and paid homage to King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, Go to your home. Psalm chapter 80 verse 1. Listen, shepherd of Israel who leads Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim shine on Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Rally your power and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. Lord God of armies, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You fed them the bread of tears and gave them a full measure of tears to drink. You put us at odds with our neighbors, our enemies mock us. Restore us, God of armies. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. You dug up a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared a place for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out sprouts toward the sea and shoots toward the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its fruit? Boars from the forest tear at it, and creatures of the field feed on it. Return, God of armies, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine, the root of your right hand planted, the sun that you made strong for yourself. It was cut down and burned. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be with the man at your right hand, with the son of man you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God of armies. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 1. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, lament for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You compare yourself to a lion of the nations, but you are like a monster in the seas. You thrash about in your rivers, churn up the waters with your feet, and muddy the rivers. This is what the Lord God says. I will spread my net over you with an assembly of many peoples, and they will haul you up in my net. I will abandon you on the land and throw you into the open field. I will cause all the birds of the sky to settle on you and let the wild creatures of the entire earth eat their fill of you. I will put your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. I will drench the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains. The ravines will be filled with your gore. When I snuff you out, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. I will darken all the shining lights in the heavens over you, and will bring darkness on your land. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring about your destruction among the nations in countries you have not known. I will cause many peoples to be appalled at you, 
and their kings will shudder with fear because of you. When I brandish my sword in front of them on the day of your downfall, each of them will tremble every moment for his life. For this is what the Lord God says, the sword of Babylon's king will come against you. I will make your hordes fall by the swords of warriors, all of them ruthless men from the nations. They will ravage Egypt's pride and all its hordes will be destroyed. I will slaughter all its cattle that are beside many waters, and no human foot will churn them again, and no cattle hooves will disturb them. Then I will let their water settle, and will make their rivers flow like oil. This is the declaration of the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt a desolation, so that it is emptied of everything in it, when I strike down all who live there, then they will know that I am the Lord. The daughters of the nations will chant that lament, They will chant it over Egypt and all its hordes. This is the declaration of the Lord God. In the twelfth year, on the fifteenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, wail over the hordes of Egypt and bring Egypt and the daughters of mighty nations down to the underworld to be with those who descend to the pit. Who do you surpass in loveliness? Go down and be laid to rest with the uncircumcised. They will fall among those slain by the sword. A sword is appointed. They drag her and all her hordes away. Warrior leaders will speak from the middle of Sheol about him and his allies. They have come down. The uncircumcised lie slain by the sword. Assyria is there with her whole assembly. Her graves are all around her. All of them are slain, fallen by the sword. Her graves are set in the deepest regions of the pit, and her assembly is all around her burial place. All of them are slain, fallen by the sword, those who once spread terror in the land of the living. Elam is there with all her hordes around her grave. All of them are slain, fallen by the sword, those who went down to the underworld uncircumcised, who once spread their terror in the land of the living. They bear their disgrace with those who descend to the pit. Among the slain they they prepare a bed for Elam with all her hordes. Her graves are all around her. All of them are uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Although their terror was once spread in the land of the living, they bear their disgrace with those who descend to the pit. They are placed among the slain. Meshach and Tubal are there with all their hordes. Their graves are all around them. All of them are uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Although their terror was once spread in the land of the living, they do not lie down with the fallen warriors of the uncircumcised who went down to Sheol with their weapons of war, whose swords were placed under their heads and their shields rested on their bones. Although the terror of these warriors was once in the land of the living, but you will be shattered and you will lie down among the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. Edom is there, her kings and all her princes, who despite their strength have been placed among those slain by the sword. They lie down with the uncircumcised, with those who descend to the pit, All the leaders of the north and all of the Sidonians are there. They went down in shame with the slain, despite the terror their strength inspired. They lie down uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. They bear their disgrace with those who descend to the pit. Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his hordes, Pharaoh and his whole army slain by the sword. This is the declaration of the Lord God. For I will spread my terror... In the land of the living, so Pharaoh and all his hordes will be laid to rest among the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Amen and amen. And you might have noticed we had somebody chime in right in the middle of that. Uh, Our old friend Siri started listening when I invoked the name Assyria, which sounded to her like, hey Siri. I apologize for that. Dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his word 
shine in your heart and give you light in your life and guide your steps. Amen. Good day and Godspeed.